Malachi chapter 3, verses 13, up to chapter 4, verse 3. Hear the word of the Lord. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. For behold, The day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked. For they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Let's pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. As today it's the global day for prayer for the persecuted church, If we hear some of the horrific things that are happening to Christians around the world, we might throw up our hands and say, Why, Lord? Why? Why do your people suffer so much and those who persecute them get off scot-free or even prosper because of what they do to them? On that website that I mentioned to you, Voice of the Martyrs, they have a section for prayer. And they, they post, day by day, news that they get. The, the latest news at the top and then going down from there. October 29th, 2020, Uganda. Woman poisoned to death by her family. October 29, 2020, Colombia. Paramilitary group close, closes at least 60 churches. October 22nd, 2020, Laos. Teenager, 15-year-old, kicked out of his home for believing in Jesus. October 22nd, 2020, Iran. Court removes Muslim toddler from the Christian parents who adopted this special needs child. October 15th, Somalia. Family in police custody. October 15th, Laos. Bomb fire used against Christians in Brew Village. October 8th, Pakistan, Muslim convert faces murderous family. October 1st, Turkish-born resident expelled from Turkey. October 1st, Nepal, no home or job for Jesus follower. September 24th, Uganda, three children kicked out by their own grandmother. September 24th, Ethiopia, anti-government rebels kill pastor. And it goes on and on and on. And when we read these horrific stories, we say, why, Lord? 
These are your people. Shouldn't, shouldn't they have better than that? And, and shouldn't something stop or happen to their persecutors to keep them from doing this sort of thing? Or even closer to home. Why, why does this godly young mother get cancer? Uh, why, why does this faithful man suffer from poverty when others who spurn God are healthy and wealthy? Why, why is there not a, a more obvious difference in our, our circumstances for those who are Christians? And I think sometimes, wouldn't that be great for evangelism? Wouldn't it be great if, if people could see that, that we're healthier and wealthier than, than they too would want to be Christians? Wouldn't that be an effective evangelistic tool? It seems to us at times that there should be more, more benefits, more obvious benefits of faith that, that everybody could see, and also more obvious downsides to rejecting the Lord and spurning His name. Wouldn't that be helpful for everybody? Believers have long questioned God's justice. This is not unusual. Read the Psalms. Read Psalm 73. And read, read the book of Job. And there have, there have always been occasions that have caused believers, true believers, sincere believers, devout believers, to question God's justice and to say, Lord, Lord, why? Why is this the way things are? And, on the other side, those same circumstances have caused skeptics to rejoice because they have plenty of material to laugh at our faces and say, Oh, look at that. Where is your God? Is, is this what you get for serving the Lord? Well, the people in Malachi's day, as we have seen over and over, had plenty of material. The skeptics had plenty of material. Believers had plenty of material to, to cause them consternation and, and doubt. And there's never a time when there's not plenty of material in this world for doubt and for skepticism and even for mocking. But we see in this text that there were two very, very different reactions to the circumstances of the day. And this is the last This is the final dispute that we have between God and His people. And you've seen how these disputes go. God comes and He he makes a declaration and and they challenge the declaration. And then God explains patiently His, His declaration. And then there is the proper response. And here we have something of a longer dispute in which it's the same pattern, but the response is twofold. There is the response of those who fear God. And then there is the response of God Himself as we get near to the conclusion of this book. What's the declaration that God makes in verse 13? Your words have been hard against me. And there is at least one scholar that translates these. Your words have overcome me. And that sounds strange for human words to overcome God. But we saw last week something very strange. Humans robbing God. So it may be something of that same sort of absurdity. But however it's translated, it's obvious that these words are are very strong against God. And then immediately, immediately the people say, How have we done that? How have we spoken against you? And then God patiently explains. And here, 
it looks like what God is doing is kind of picking up the rumors on the street, the kind of mutterings that go on uh, in Jerusalem among people. And these are the kind of things that, that people were muttering, gossiping, saying to each other. It's vain to serve the Lord. It's, it's useless to serve the Lord. What is the profit of our keeping His charge, that is, obeying Him, or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts, that is, worshiping Him with sadness in our hearts and repentance? What's, what's the use of serving Him? What's the use of worshiping Him? What's the use of repentance? And then some were going so far as to call the arrogant blessed. And evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they get away with it. Those are the kind of things that people were observing. Now, this is not the first time we've heard this sort of language. If you go back and look at chapter 2, verse 17, God has already told them. And by the way, this dispute, the sixth one, is very similar to the fourth one, but it's ramped up here in its intensity. The fourth dispute, uh, 2.17, You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied Him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and He delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? So once again, the same sort of questioning, but this time it's even more intense, because they were saying that it is vain to serve God. There is no profit in worshiping and serving Him. The arrogant are blessed, and anybody can just spurn God, and they get away with this. So we see the skepticism has become more deeply rooted in the word on the street. Now we have the response. The response of the faithful is very brief. It's very brief. It's in verse 16. And although it looks like the majority was speaking this way, there was a minority. We don't know how large. Apparently, quite small. Because the accusations of this this book have been in general. And so it's something of a surprise that there is even, even this minority among the people. But this minority, they're described as those who fear the Lord. Those who honor the Lord, those who respect the Lord, those who recognize the Lord for who He is. And it says, then those who feared the Lord, they spoke with one another. This is the second time we have people speaking with one another. Uh, People were speaking with one another on the street saying, it's useless to serve God. Blessed are the arrogant. They were speaking with one another. And now, somehow, these who feared the Lord... They found each other, and they spoke together. And it may be, it may be that the second part of this verse is what they said. The way it's translated here, which is also possible, that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. Well, in the, the, the Hebrew text, there is no word them there. So another way to read this is this. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Quote, this is what they were saying, quote, the Lord pays attention and hears. Which is very different from what the word on the street was. The word on the street was, God doesn't care. It's worthless. And if He cares about anything, it's about blessing the arrogant. And here, those who feared the Lord, and they got together and they encouraged one another by saying, The Lord does pay attention after all. That is our faith. That is our declaration. The Lord does hear after all. And they encouraged each other with these words. 
And then it says that a book, a book of remembrance, was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. Now, it's very tempting and may be correct to associate this book with the book of life. Because there is this book of life that shows up from Genesis to Revelation that is God's book and that has the list of God's people in that book. And it may be that this is that book. But I tend to think that the explanation is other than that. I tend to think that this is the book that these people wrote. They wrote a book of remembrance before the Lord. They spoke to one another, and they said things like, the Lord does pay attention, the Lord does hear, and we are going to put it down in writing, that we are going to remember these things, and we are going to sign our names to this document to say that we believe that the Lord pays attention and that the Lord hears His people. Book of Remembrance. Now it could be, if this is the book of life, God is remembering them. Or if this is their book, they're remembering God. And they're encouraging one another and saying, folks, let's remember. Let's remember, I know times are hard right now. I know things are difficult. I know our circumstances are not ideal. But let's remember, God is the Lord. He's the faithful God. Remember what He has done. The simple fact that we have not been consumed as we were reminded last week, is an evidence of God's faithfulness. Remember His promises to Abraham. Remember His promises to Isaac. Remember His promises to Jacob. Remember what He has done for His people over the generations. Let's put down our remembrance in this book and sign our names to it. So if that's the right interpretation here, this is a book of covenant renewal on the part of the people. They're saying, we... We fear the Lord, and we, in spite of all the opposition against us, in spite of all the skepticism swirling around us, we sign our names to the fact that the Lord is faithful. And we remember the Lord because the Lord has always remembered us. That's the response. That's the proper response. Not just to this dispute, this is really the conclusion, not to this dispute, but it's, it's getting to the conclusion of the whole book. And this is, the, this is the bottom line. How are we going to respond to all that we've heard in this book? Are we going to look at our circumstances only and say, doesn't add up, doesn't make sense, it's not worth it, and throw in the towel like many were doing? Or no matter how bad things get, are we going to say, the Lord, He pays attention. The Lord, He hears. The Lord remembers us, so we will remember Him as well. That's the response of faith. It's not the response of walking by sight according to our circumstances, it's the response of faith and walking by faith. Now, that's not the final response here. There is a response by God in chapter 4. And that response is a day. 
a day that is coming. For behold, the day is coming. That day is coming. On the day when I act, says the Lord. Three times in these three verses, He talks about the day, that day, it's coming. And all through the prophets, we hear about a day that's coming. And it's sometimes called the day of the Lord. Here it's just called the day, but we understand what this day is. This, this is the day. And He's already told us about that day He would send a messenger, a preparatory messenger, and then He would send the messenger of the covenant on, on that day. There, there is the day when God would intervene, when he, when he would change things, when He would make things right, that He would appear Himself the day of the Lord. And because the faithful, those who had signed their names to that book, if that's the right interpretation, because they would be His on that day, and it would be obvious they would be His, either because of His book or because of their book, they would be His on that day. He would spare them. Because in the prophets, that day is not altogether positive. Usually the, the Israelites, the Jews, were thinking, oh, we need the day of the Lord to come. So God will take care of those terrible people over there. And the prophets come along and say, yes... He will take care of them, but He will also take care of you because you're acting like them. And so, many of the messages of the prophets about the day of the Lord is to say, Israel, wake up before this day comes because this is not going to be altogether pleasant for you. But here we have, here we have a division. This day is going to be wonderful for some and terrible for others. But for those who are in that book, in verse verse 1, Behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven. But then it says in verse 2, For all who fear My name, for all who fear My name, the Son of Righteousness will rise. And, oh, going back to verse 18. I'm sorry. I skipped over some things here. I skipped over some important verses here. Got ahead of myself. Verse 17 They shall be mine. This is what I was looking for. They shall be mine before we get to that. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. So in that day, those who are in that book, they would be his, and God would spare him the negative consequences. Then once more, verse 18, you're looking to see a difference between the righteous and the unrighteous? It doesn't, it's not too apparent, the benefits? of of fearing the Lord? Well, in that day, once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. And I want you to notice something. Here there's a definition. A definition of the righteous and the wicked. It says, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve Him. There's the definition. And so what that means is, you know what? There already is a big difference in the lives of those who are gods and those who are not. Who, Who are they? How can you tell the difference? By how wealthy or healthy they are? No, you can tell the difference by whether they're serving the Lord or not. There is a marked difference in the lives of those who are gods. And then we get to to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, we hear the, the negative side of it, the downside of it, for those who are not the Lord's. And that day 
it says here, will be a hot one. It will be a very hot day. And it will be a day that will be hot like a, a smelting oven. They, they superheated their smelting ovens so that they could melt metal. And we've already seen that image before, chapter 3, verse 2. But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And all the arrogant on that day, all the evildoers on that day, will discover that those who put God to the test do not really get away with it, after all. In their case, the heat of that day, it says, will burn them up like stubble. That, that day is coming and shall set them ablaze, leaving nothing alive, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. It will be a terrible day for them. Now, we may cringe, particularly as Western people, who congratulate ourselves about being sophisticated in our thinking. We may cringe at this sort of image about the day of the Lord coming and and burning up those who oppose the Lord. But we ought to recognize some things. And one is this. We have hardwired into us a longing for justice. We may dispute what justice looks like, but no matter where you go in the world, there is this hardwired longing. There's a recognition that things are not right. And there is this recognition inside of ourselves, this longing inside of ourselves that, that things be put right. That, that someday, somehow, there be justice in this world. And so, when we read these sort of verses, they really, even if we cringe at the, the apparent severity of these verses, we also should recognize that, that this is the response to that longing that, that God has hardwired into humanity as His people. We also need to recognize that if there is never any day of justice, ever, then the skeptics were right. The skeptics are right. Spurn God, and you get away with it. Nothing happens. No difference. You don't have to take Him seriously. So there are many implications, serious ones, if we, out of distaste for this kind of, this kind of text, and the, the justice and the severity and the judgment of it, if we reject this, And we also need to remember something very important here. That we have read about the heat of that day previously in Malachi. And the heat of that day in the first instance, the first instance we read about that is not to judge, is not to destroy, but it is to purify. You see, when when the heat of that day, the refiner's fire first shows up, these verses I just read, for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap, he will sit as a refiner and purifier 
and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. So in the first place, why is this fire applied? It is applied to to purify, to purify us from our sins. And those for whom it will mean destruction are those who refused to submit themselves to the purifying fire of the Lord. He sends this fire to purify. And the ones that the heat will consume are those who said, No, I do not want to be purified by your fire. For those who fear the Lord, verse 2, chapter 4, For those who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall. There are a number of metaphors here being mixed together, aren't there? There's the sun of righteousness. The emphasis here is on righteousness that shines like the sun. It will be a hot day for everyone. For some it will be a scorching day. For others it will be a healing day. That same heat will, with its rays, with its wings, will, will heal those who fear fear God's name. And then those of us who are urbanites or suburbanites, we've never seen this, I've never seen it, but apparently this is what calves do. This is what young calves do to stretch and strengthen their muscles. You let them out from the stall and they leap. And it looks like leaps of joy. So that day will be a happy day for those who fear the Lord. And then it says in verse 3, another image that is difficult for us perhaps, and you who fear the Lord, you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Now we need to understand here that this is not an image of the righteous gleefully stomping on the wicked. No, the wicked have already been reduced to ashes. And as the righteous leap, the image is that they will find under their feet the ashes of those who have been consumed by that day. But those ashes will serve a purpose for the righteous as well. They will be a reminder to the righteous of the mercy of the Lord. As they look under their feet and they see what they too deserved if it were not for the mercy of God in purifying them. So those ashes in that day will be a sober reminder to those who have been purified by the Lord of His graciousness in giving His mercy to us. When John the Baptist came, he preached about one, didn't he? We'll see more about John the Baptist next week, but he preached about one who was going to baptize, not in water like he did, but in the Holy Spirit, and what else? Fire. And then Jesus came, and on the day of Pentecost, he baptized in the Holy Spirit, but those, those, the way he did it was by sending tongues of fire. And so he baptized in the Holy Spirit and fire, but lo and behold, that fire didn't consume anybody. It didn't destroy anybody. What it did is it it purified 
those who feared His name. And so, this is the time. He indicated that that the day came and and the fire was applied, but it was that first fire that was applied. It was the, the purifying fire that's applied to all who will believe in Jesus. But that time will one day end. You see, we're, we're living in that time right now, folks. Jesus has come. Jesus has lived. Jesus has died to pay the, the penalty for the sins of all who trust in Him. He has risen from the dead to conquer over death and give eternal life to all who believe in Him. And He has baptized us in, in the Holy Spirit and fire to purify us. And that's the, the time in which we've been living for these 2,000 years. But the rest of this prophecy will one day be completed when the fire is applied once again. It, it will not be a fire of purifying anymore. It will be a fire of consumption for those who refuse the purification. So, I know that wrath of God, day of judgment, sermons are not particularly popular if they ever were. But we need to be careful when we hear these sort of things not to say, well, that's the kind of talk of unsophisticated people. Because if we do that sort of thing, we're being just like the skeptics in Malachi's day. And we're also denying the reality that God is a God of justice. And so, while we long for justice, the first thing we long for for ourselves, and what we long for for our neighbors, and what we long for even for our enemies, is the mercy of purification. And it's a good thing. It's a good thing that God has delayed so long by our, by our human measurements between the, the institution of the, the, the fire of purification and the bringing of the fire of destruction. It's a good thing for us. Why? Because we had a chance to come in. We had a chance to come in by faith in Jesus and be purified so that we would not be destroyed. And so, if you're hearing this today, and you haven't come in yet by faith in Jesus, recognize that this is the day. This is the day of purification. And it won't last forever. So take advantage of the opportunity that you have today of, of, of Christ being your Savior, the one who rescues you from your sins, who spares you from that coming judgment, and who purifies you and makes you new. And if you know people who have not yet come in, well, they need to. We don't know how long this time will last, but we know that one day it will close. And so, it's urgent, if we have come in, that we do all that we can to bring others with us. So that that day when it comes will be a day of leaping for joy. Let's pray. Our God, we come to texts like this with heavy hearts and with grateful hearts because You have had mercy on even us. 
And we can find no difference between ourselves and our neighbor. Nothing in us that would commend ourselves to you that you would have mercy on us. It's your pure mercy, O God, that you have called us while there is yet time to come in. But as that hymn says, thousands continue to make that wretched choice and they'd rather starve than come. O God, we pray that that You would bring us in, those of us who are here, to hear the preaching of the Word today and through this church or whatever other church is preaching Your Gospel today, that we would come, that, that many would come, and that You would use us to bring others along with us, O oh God. We don't know how long You will delay, but you thank you that, we thank You that You have delayed long enough, long enough for us to come in. And we pray, O oh God, that You would use us to bring many with us so that that day we could leap with joy together. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.